Welcome to First Reading, the Old Testament lectionary podcast for anyone interested in the Bible. I'm Reverend Dr. Rachel Wren, Assistant Professor of Biblical Studies at Trinity Lutheran Seminary at Capital University. And I'm Dr. Tim McNinch, Assistant Professor of Hebrew Bible at Christian Theological Seminary. This week, we're looking at the text for February 25th, the second Sunday in Lent. And Rachel's up again to bring you some preaching tips and tricks. So what are you going to tackle this week, Rachel? Oh, friends, we are going to spend some time in the psalm. We oh, are at brother. So, oh, you be quiet. <laughs> psalm 22. I found myself down a rabbit hole this week, and lucky y'all, I'm taking you all down with me. I mean, into the rabbit hole, not anywhere bad. Okay. <laughs> all right, anyway. Alice. Let's yeah, go. Yeah, right, exactly. You're the white rabbit. So context, Psalm 22 is one of the most famous psalms in the Bible because of one line in particular. Comes in the very first verse, Eli, Eli, Lama Azavtani. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me, forsaken me, cast mm-hmm. me off? One of those translations. Yeah. Jesus quotes this psalm from the cross as it's recorded in both Matthew and Mark. This psalm then is often used if you're in a liturgical church that follows the RCL. Oftentimes you'll hear Psalm 22 on Monday, Thursday as the altar is stripped of its paraments at the end of the worship service, or sometimes too on Good Friday with Jesus' last words coming from the cross. And I have to say, big shout out to the RCL editors here because Mm. they paired it beautifully. I know I don't often say that, but I mean (laughs) it. They paired it beautifully here with the gospel text of Mark 8, 31 to 38. In that text, Jesus begins to teach his followers what it truly means to walk the way of Christ, which is, of course, the way of the cross. Hmm. He says things like, for those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. It's like a fine wine and a good cheese. It's just a lovely pairing. Jesus in Mark is foreshadowing the cross. This chunk of Psalm 22 is the happy version. But Hmm. the very fact that you're in Psalm 22 makes your mind, if you're liturgically kind of in it, Mm -hmm. makes your mind jump to that, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So just like a really nice job of putting these texts together, I think. Yeah. Now, now you said we're in the happy part of Psalm 22. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about the psalm and in, in, in the, the happy and sad of it. Yeah, right. Exactly. This is this is not the part where my clothes have been stripped. They're beating me about the head. They're casting lots to get my robe. That's the beginning part. This mm. is like cheerful Psalm 22. And yeah, this is my, my first point of literary context. First of all, Psalm 22 is not all sad. It's not all, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In mm. fact, it's in what I would say dialogue with itself. Now, this isn't unusual in the Psalms to have a psalm begin with a lament and then all of a sudden in the middle shift to something that sounds like praise or thanksgiving. And mm-hmm. there was a, a big trend for a while of saying, well, that's because the worshiper would have been at the temple and would have lamented. And then there would have been a pause where the priest would have said, and your request has been granted. And then the psalmist would have continued with a psalm of praise. So what we're missing is that historical moment where their wish is granted. Mm. That's that's fine. It could be true. It's not very exciting to me because at that <laughs> point, if that's really what's going on, then what more can you say? 
I think it's more interesting to take Psalm 22 as a unit and say, what is the effect of having this, this dialogue back and forth? And what's interesting is the whole of Psalm 22 moves with a sort of whiplash between lament and praise and lament and praise. It's a very scattered back and forth psalm. You have things like verse 2, really verse 1. There's a different numbering in the Hebrew than in the English. Why have you forsaken me? In verse 3, yet you are holy and saved our ancestors. But then in verse 6, but I'm not my ancestors. I'm not even a human. I'm a worm. (laughs) And then in verse 9, but you know that I'm human, God. You yourself midwifed my delivery. Verse 12 but I'm in so much trouble. I've got bulls and wild dogs surrounding me and trying to rip me apart. And then verse 21b, but you have rescued me. And then it kind of concludes with this continued rant of praise, as I might call it. (laughs) A rant of praise. That's a great juxtaposition. Well, it's in part because I don't think usually, and especially not here, I don't think that everything just shifts to Disney. I, I think when you read the rest of Psalm 22, the what I call cheerful parts, carefully, not everything is resolved. Hmm. So let me give you a quick example, and then I'll talk about why I would say preach this. In verse 2, the psalmist says, Oh my God, I call out kara by Mm -hmm. day, but you do not answer ana, and by night, but I find no rest. So there's this calling out, expecting God to hear, expecting God to answer, and expecting God to save. Mm-hmm. And there's no divine response. Crickets. Crickets, exactly. In verse 24, the English uses the same word, I, I cried out, but it's actually two different verbs in the Hebrew that's going on there. So mm. in verse 24, which is in our pericope, the psalmist says, God did not hide his face from me, but he heard Shema when I cried Shava to him. Hmm. So I think there's an interesting preaching point here that could be about the dissonant reality of suffering. You know, when you undergo suffering, typically it's not just a one-toned experience. There are still in the midst of suffering these moments of high, these moments of praise, these moments of gratitude, even as things are really painful. And in some ways, this psalm testifies to that reality. Mm-hmm. But I think an even more interesting thing is that it's not an exact mirror from the lament to the praise. As I said, the person cries out kara in verse 2, but they use a different verb for cry, shava, in verse 24. Now, something you might not know about Hebrew preachers is when Hebrew wants to demonstrate that something happened in exactly the same way it was started, it repeats using the exact same words. Mm -hmm. A a good example, right, is Genesis 24. In Genesis 24, Abraham is sending a servant to find a wife for Isaac. Father Abe gives the servant a long speech with many instructions, Mm -hmm. and then the exact same instructions are repeated almost word for word as the narrator tells us what the servant proceeded to do. The literary effect of this seems at first just plain boring. Like, okay, we got the picture. This is what you told him to do. He went and did what you told him to do. Mm -hmm. But the point is, it's showing us that the servant is absolutely obedient. Word for word, what Abraham said, the servant did. Right, right. Here in Psalm 22, though, we don't get that. The ideas are repeated, but the words are not. The psalmist called and God did not answer in verse 2. Then the psalmist narrates in verse 24 that when they cried out to God, God heard. 
But note the lingering question of whether or not God answered. Hmm. There's still dissonance happening here. Not everything is resolved in this neat little bow. And as I was thinking about how one might preach that, it occurred to me that sometimes salvation or just divine answer doesn't come the way we want it to, or perhaps better to say in the package we want it to. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we might be praying for restoration, for everything to go back to the way it was before. And what we get instead is reconciliation, where things are better, but you still remember from the past. Or, you know, we might be praying for reconciliation, and what we get instead is resolution, where maybe the answer is no to the reconciliation, and that's final. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we're praying for space, and what we get is someone who refuses to be cast aside. You know how this goes, where you're praying so hard for something, and you realize your prayer has been answered, but not in the form you wanted it to be. Mm-hmm. So so in the psalm, maybe sometimes we're praying for an answer, and what we get instead is to be heard. To be heard. God. Yeah, right, exactly. So I think there's some some fodder there for a, an interesting sermon that could be preached about, you know, what happens when we pray. Yeah. Uh, there's one little final thing, if I can throw a little bit more Hebrew out there. No, no more Hebrew. <laughs> no Stop more the Hebrew. Hebrew. <laughs> Close it down. I find verse 25 to be absolutely fascinating. So in the Hebrew, it sounds like this. Me'itcha tehilati b'kahal rav. From you comes my praise in the great congregation. Now, this is the moment, this is the cheerful part of the psalm. This is where the psalmist is thanking God, is responding to God, is praising God. But listen to those, listen to those words. From you comes my praise in the great congregation. We, we always think of our praise for God coming forth from ourselves. What does it mean to think of our praise for God coming forth from God? Now, Mm -hmm. On the one hand, this is so Lutheran, I could just squeal. God (laughs) is not only the creator, but the divine instigator. And sometimes, perhaps even or especially in times of trial, when we cannot bring ourselves to praise God on our own, there's a promise here that even in the midst of great suffering, God will draw forth praise from us. And, And not in like a divinely selfish or narcissistic way. This is a silly example, but the beginning of the semester, and again, first world problems, I'm fully aware of it, but the Hmm. beginning of the semester is just a really chaotic time, especially because it always coincides with the beginning of our kids' semester. So I always feel like for the first three weeks of the semester, I am wrong, off, late, behind, Hmm. or something else that's chaotic and negative. The other day I was driving to school early and was in one of those moments, but the drive, instead of being one where I just sort of listened to podcasts or kind of, you know, begrudgingly thought about all the things I had to do and was going to mess up that day, the Holy Spirit nudged me to spend the whole drive just praying through my day. What was Mm. coming next? What could I talk to God about that? And, And by the end of the drive, I was calm. I felt confident. I sort of had touched base with my loved ones in the form of that prayer. And praise for the God who had made that space for me just sort of fell from my lips. 
it felt very much like a praise that God drew forth from me and not one that I brought forth and offered it to God as if here is my offering. Mm. So, so that's one piece that I think is a really interesting way to think about praise in the midst of suffering. And then the final little tidbit is just the context of when and how praise comes forth in the midst of a great congregation. Faith is a communal effort, friends. And sometimes it's that congregation that we need to draw the praise from us as well. Yeah. Every great psalm is one that really resonates with real life, right? Yeah. And this one sure does. And you've really helped draw out how the the tension in this psalm between suffering and praise and Mm. prayer and answers and being heard and all of that, it just maps onto real life pretty strongly. So I think there's a lot of fodder here for a sermon that goes beyond just the, well, here's something Jesus quoted from the cross, right? Right. (laughs) There's meaning to be had here, which is, you know, in part why the psalm has has lasted all of these generations. Preach the psalms, friends. Preach the psalms. (laughs) Well, that seems like a good place to stop for the week. Thanks so much, Rach, for your work on that. Absolutely. And thanks to all of you out there for listening. First Reading is produced by Rachel and me, along with our colleagues Rosie and Paul. You can learn more about the pod and find our back episodes at the website, firstreadingpodcast.com. If you found these conversations helpful, why not give a little bit to help it keep going? You can donate to us on our website, either with a one-time gift or with a regular contribution. We've also got merch there that you can take a look at and, uh, you know, maybe a cool t-shirt or something would, would be great. You can find us on Facebook, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast fix. Until next time, I'm Tim McNinch. And I'm Rachel Wren. Happy preaching! <laughs>